0: Well, as we look at the, uh, the subject of intimacy, what I want us to get hold of is that there is something um, highly significant about um, what it means to walk with God in closeness, in friendship, that really is, it supersedes anything else. And if you think about it this, like this for a moment, intimacy with God is everything. Without it, we have nothing. Our life with God is sourced From this place and Christianity doesn't work unless we discover how to live in friendship with Jesus don't be persuaded necessarily by just my words but these are just some quotes that I pulled up this week from people who spoke on the same subject and they'll come up on the slide here first of all Bill Johnson puts it like this he says royalty is my identity servanthood is my assignment intimacy with God is my source is my life source Charles Spurgeon, a very famous British preacher, said this, he said, Faith is the road, but communion, meaning the uh, intimate relationship with Jesus, is the well from which the pilgrim drinks. Christine Kane, who's a leader from Australia, she says this, she said, We were never created to settle for mere religion. Jesus did not die so that we could have a religious belief system, but rather a life-giving relationship with our Father. And St. Augustine puts it like this, to fall in love with God. Just, just pause on that for a moment. Just even think about that, what he's saying right now. He's describing the relationship that we as humans have with the creator of the universe. And look at the languages he, language he chooses. This is one of the early church fathers. He said, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek him the greatest adventure. To find him the greatest human achievement. And you know the scriptures, they're full of examples, of expressions of intimacy with God. And this morning we're going to look at Psalm 63 and we'll look at the first eight verses. And you can turn there. And this is um, a psalm that King David wrote. It's a psalm that um, is believed that he wrote out when he was in the desert. And it could have been a time when he was fleeing from um, the, the armies of Saul. or It could have been actually a later time when Absalom was chasing him down. But either way, he's alone. He's in the desert. He's not in a great spot. And this is a psalm that he wrote um, to, to God as an expression of worship and his relationship with him. It says Psalm 63, verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole body, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings, I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. You know, there are many expressions of intimacy that we could talk about and we could see here in this psalm that David is describing, but actually, this morning, I want us to focus on two particular things that express this intimate relationship that David has with the Father, and it's a way that I think that God wants us to um, recognize as a community this morning, and that is the presence of hunger and the reality of encounter, that there is a hunger in David that is coming through from this place and there is this recognition that David is a man who has encountered God. He's a man whose life has been shaped by experience with God. He's not, he's not just got this um, set of ideas about who God is and has living these wise things out in his life And seeing the benefit of it, he's living out of an encounter of encounters with the living God who has shaped and marked his life. So, we're going to focus in particularly on those two things. But I did want to recognize in talking about intimacy, these are not the only two things that we um, can experience. So, verse one: You God are my God. Notice that um, right at the beginning. If we go back, um, Jack, to the first one, the first uh, first verse there: You God are my God. It says first he's addressing, he's saying, You God, and there's an acknowledgement that first God, but then you see this incredible statement of, You are my God, and you don't make bold statements like that, that unless you've had an experience of knowing this God, it's personal, it's real. And then notice how he immediately, he, he moves into this, earnestly I seek you. And my whole, I thirst for you, or my whole being longs for you. You know, in some translations, the New King James, the King James translation uses the word early instead of earnestly, but you can see really the context here, the meaning is, it is about this yearning. It's about this longing for the presence and the person of God. And there, David uses the imagery of being in the desert and water to capture the emotions but what I think is remarkable about this and what you kind of, what, like when, when you pause and just, this is quite a familiar psalm I imagine to many of us, but when you pause and just think about this for a moment, there's, a, there's something like really incredible about this. David is in the desert. He's being pursued. He's, he's, he's isolated. He's lonely. His circumstances are not good. But what comes out of his mouth What is the cry of his heart? It's not, God, stop those nasty men from getting me and killing me and destroying my life forever. Change my circumstances. He doesn't say that, does he? He has every reason to long for a change in his circumstances, but he longs for God's presence. He wants to meet him he wants to know him more than he does in that moment. He wants to know him like he has known him in the past. There is this cry that's coming out of his heart that's emerging. In the testing of the desert, what came out of David was the cry in his heart for I have got to know you more. The place of intimacy with God is not just a nice idea about how we relate oh, he's kind to us, or he's nice to us, or he loves us. It's not for warm fuzzies. It's, it, this is the essence of what we were created for. He created us so that we would know him. He hasn't brought you here to Oklahoma in this time to give you a set of principles to live by so that life goes pretty well, and then you get to the end of, the life, end of your life and you get a pat on the back and say, well done, take your seat in heaven. You made it, good job. He made us to know him, that we would walk with him in intimacy. And this isn't David saying, I'm looking forward to when I get to heaven when I see you face to face, and then I'll really know you and we'll be close and intimate. He's recalling what he's known already. He's already experienced this. You know later you'll see he uses in verse 3 because your love is better than life. Because your love is better than life you don't say that unless you know what that love is like. He's not just saying nice theological statements. This is not David in his finest moment where he's surrounded by lots of people in his palace and he's looking important so he better come up with some profound things to say. This is David probably in a cave scared out of his mind half the time and this is what's coming out of him. He knows who his God is. Do you know God in that way? What would come out of your heart in times of testing? What is coming out of your heart in times of testing? Because it's often in those places when life is most difficult and most challenging that what's actually in us comes out. And you know there's something about There's no shame in that. So if you're going through a hard time and you realize I'm not finding God, the cry of my heart is not I need you more, God. It's God, get me out of here. That's okay. There's grace. We're all on a journey. But what what David is revealing here is there is a way to know God that means it's better than whatever circumstance you're in. Regardless of what you walk through, knowing God is better than all of it. Am I communicating? Hopefully. You know, recently I've been finding that uh, my desire, my passion, um, if you like, has has not been what I wanted it to be. What I want it to be, I found myself wrestling with Paul's conundrum. You know, in Romans seven fifteen, when he talks about, "I do not understand what I do. I do for I what I want to do, I do not do." But what I hate, I do. And there's something very real about Paul in that place, isn't there? It's like, I know what I want to do, but there's something in me that doesn't want to do it. And I've been just confronted with some of my own uh, limitation, my own weaknesses, and my own lack of passion. And I found myself just recently, I was incredibly distracted and not able to do the things that I was supposed to be doing and what was before me. And after one particular discouraging day of this, I just found myself driving home and saying to the Lord, "What, what is it? What is it that's going on here, Lord? I just began to, to pray, Lord, I'm sorry for wasting my time and being distracted today. And I just began to cry, and I didn't know why I was crying. And uh, I just heard him whisper to me. He said, you're lonely. And uh, part of the loneliness of what he was talking to me about was... Um, I was not letting people know about how I was doing. I was just kind of living with a level of superficiality. So, you know, I remember, <laughs> the, it was a revelation to me to realize that this, the, the struggle that was taking place for me was actually because of a lack of intimacy in my life. With God primarily, but also with other people. So that the loneliness was the reason for my lack of passion and effectiveness. You see, intimacy with Jesus is the fuel for passion to live. It's our source for perseverance. It sustains us in our calling when all the external motivations they fade away. The sweet, unrelenting strength of the Father comes to us through intimacy with Him. And you know, I was, as I was in this moment in my car. Um, I just felt the Lord drop this phrase into my heart and he said, "Uh, I want you to do a truth fast. Now, that's not fasting from telling the truth, that's learning to communicate truth more openly than I had been. I hadn't been lying to people, I just had not been forthcoming. And so I had this thought, okay, I'm just going to start giving it as it is. (laughs) It felt really risky to me uh, to start doing this and so um, I talked to Jennifer at home and we, we had this conversation and... Um, And then I found myself the next day, I was in the office and I don't know if Mike Klein is in the room, is he? Mike, wave at me if you, he's with the kids. Oh well, he can hear about this later, but Mike works on staff with us. And uh, I was in the kitchen, I walked in, and Mike walks in, he says, hey, how you doing? And I was like, okay, here we go. (laughs) And I just stopped and I didn't say, great, doing all right, you know, getting there, whatever the usual nonsense. Um, And I just said to him, I said, well, actually, not that great and uh, we just stopped for a few minutes and he just, it was so interesting to me because immediately his demeanor changed and he turns to me and he's real present with me and he just listens and he takes time in his day just to stop. He gives me a hug at the end of the conversation and leads me to it. Later in the week he sticks his head in my office and just says, hey, how you doing? And I just said, getting better. Getting better. And so, but what was, what was really telling for me was that it shifted the dynamic in our relationship. Certainly there was a different level of intimacy in our friendship. You know, um, I felt incredibly tender this last week as I've been embracing this. I felt a vulnerability. But I've also felt a new level of aliveness and a connectedness to God. Um, it's changing. I felt my passion changing, I'm feeling like there's something that's shifting in me and there is a growing hunger and a confidence that that is gonna increase that's happened just as a result of that. You know, the revelation for me about loneliness, I wanted to just take a moment to pause on. So I've just put this, um, Jack, if you put that slide up that says about loneliness, and really you can read this as um, loneliness or you could read it as feeling alone or even missing some intimacy in your life. Um, And these are just some things that uh, some other person mentioned to me that may be relevant. They're not anything to do with my own experiences, not really. These These are my personal list of things that I have realized were signs for me of what was going on. So I just want to be real with you for a moment and just share. So a desire to escape, maybe into TV shows, books or other entertainment. The increase of wanting to just eat more enjoyable food and drink to comfort emptiness. Feeling discouraged about resolving hard conversations that are important. In other words, not wanting to have those conversations because there's a lack of confidence there in me. Feeling misunderstood by those closest to you. This can be an important one. If, there's, if you're experiencing that in relationships, you may find that um, there's a disconnect and there's some not feeling understood and that can affect our sense of intimacy aware of how your own limitations or weaknesses are affecting those you love, not consistently loving them in the ways that they need. That may just be for me and me to be transparent with you, but if that relates in any way, I hope that's helpful to you. But what I would encourage you to do is that if you recognize some of these things, praying and asking to be hungry and for passion to come and for intimacy to increase is an exercise of faith. When we don't feel it, it's okay to ask for it. It's okay to pray for it. It's a good thing. You know, there is a, asking will bring about a shift in our desire to be hungry for God. The question is not do I have hunger or is it possible for me to be hungry? Um, It's really about we were made to desire. So what are you desiring? Where are you directing your desire? I'm tempted to ask you at this point to turn to the person next to you and say, what are you desiring? But I'm not going to do that because that might be a little awkward. So um, we won't do that, but you get my point. And lastly, it's possible for us to get to a point where desire dies, where we literally feel like it's gone dormant in us and that passion and intimacy, just for whatever reason, just there's a flatness there. And I just want to acknowledge that because if you're in that place, and that can be a hard place. And sometimes there are reasons why we end up in that place. It may be that there's been a sense of, there's been ongoing things that are unresolved, there's been disappointment that you haven't seen changes in. It may be that there's a continual experience of expectations not being met. Or you may just be confronted with the fact that you're failing in areas where you don't want to be failing. And it can leave you numb and it can leave you feeling in maintenance mode. But you know what? The good news is that we are dealing with a God who specializes in resurrection. No matter how dead you might feel in your heart, you are never too far away from God to reach you and to resuscitate you. Psalm 139 says it amazing. You know, verses 11 and 12. Surely the darkness will hide me and the light came become night around me. Verse 12. Even the darkness will not be dark to you and the night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. And we're going to take some time just at the end to pray for one another. And uh, if this has been resonating for you in any way, we'd love to pray for you. And then just as, as a way of finishing, I want to just turn and look at the place of encounter for a few moments and at the significance of encountering God. You notice, and I referenced this a bit earlier in verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 63, it talks about how David is saying he's seen him in the sanctuary and he's beheld his power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Encountering God is a normal part of Christian life. Encountering God is a normal part of Christian life. It's also essential to knowing God to really knowing Him and it's the times of encounter that become landmarks in our faith on which we're able to build, on places where we can cling when times of trouble come. David's prayer reveals that God is a God who encounters, who comes into our circumstances, he meets us, he shows up, he heals us, he reveals himself to us, he's the God who rescues, he's the God who speaks, he's the God who comforts, he's the God who comes close to you, he's the God who restores you and saves us when we're broken. This is who God is. Psalm 63 is like an Ebenezer from David. It's like this memorial stone. It's like this, I remember who God is. This is who he is. And I've seen you do it before, and God, I'm believing that you're gonna do it again. I'm believing that you're gonna meet me in this place and that I will know you in new ways. You know, when David defeated Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, there is a reference to his background. There is a reference to the fact that David was a shepherd boy. He looked after the sheep. He was in the background. He was not one of the high profile. He was the youngest of the family. He was, but he learned in that place how to defeat lions and wolves that came after the sheep. He learned how to fight. He learned how to trust God with those victories. So when he walks up to this big moment in Israel's history to face this giant of a a man called Goliath he's saying I know who my God is I remember when I was a little boy out in the field and he came and met me when these wolves came for the sheep and I had to protect him it was my job this guy is no different my God is the God who comes in and he is remembering he is calling back to mind the encounters that he had but it is we can't we can't do that unless we have encounters with God we can't do that unless we're in places where we are experiencing those things, when we are making space, when we have expectation, when we recognize that we need God to meet us. You know, it's interesting, the, uh, the moment when David danced, essentially in his underwear, before the people of Israel, when the Ark of the Covenant came back into the city, um, his wife despised him in that moment. She did not understand what he was doing. But you know, um, David understood that his dignity came from the Lord and not how people viewed him. That comes from a place of living a life where you encounter the presence of God, where you experience the presence of God. The very nature of our relationship with Jesus is founded on encounter. Look at the words that Jesus spoke to us. He said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. He said, come to me, those who are thirsty, and drink the living waters that I give you. He said, I am the bread of life. Jesus' words about himself reveal an expectation that we would experience him and that we will meet him regularly. He hasn't just given us wise words to live by, but he has given us himself. The apostle Paul encountered God and it ruined him for anything else. It totally one-eated his life and he lived differently because on the back of a horse, he met Jesus and saw him and he was undone. Acts 4, verse 31, the early church in, in um, meeting and their prayer meetings, it says that there, the place that they met was shaken by the presence of God. They were filled with the Holy Spirit not the first time, not the second time, and it happened again. So the point being that we're meant to encounter God, we're meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we're meant to know Him because that's what enables us to live this life. It's what enables us to live victoriously. It's what enables us to carry the Great Commission, to actually see transformation take place in our lives and those around us. Heidi Baker, a well-known missionary in Mozambique, was burnt out by ministry in that nation by the poverty the needs were overwhelming until she had an encounter with God and for days she couldn't move by herself as she lay in God's presence you know after that period of time revival followed in that nation churches were planted hundreds of orphans found families and homes because of the ministry that God gave her and her husband I could go on. Time and again, the people that we admire from history are people who've been marked by an encounter with God, their lives sealed with an unmistakable touch from Jesus. Encounters are God's, a part of the, <laughs> encounters with God are a characteristic of intimacy with him. It's meant to be part of who we are. How are you doing, church? How are you doing? When was the last time you had a moment with God and you knew I just met with God. What I'm not saying this morning is that about chasing certain experiences our whole life. Don't misunderstand me. This is not about a certain um, type of experience. It's not about a certain way of experiencing God. It, it, it's about, but it is about having those moments when you know. When you know, you know. Whether it's in worship here on a Sunday or whether it's in a time when you're reading your Bible in the morning and you just you look at the, the sun rising and you're just overwhelmed by the beauty of God's creation. Or it's in a moment with a friend when they pray with you and you experience the Holy Spirit and you're like, I needed that. I just felt, I just sensed God. He's right here with me and something has changed in me because of it. How are we doing, church, at living lives where we expect God to encounter us? We need it. We got to, and you know, (laughs) forgive me if this is super obvious. He actually likes to encounter us. He really does. He wants to meet you. He wants to meet us. He wants us to be a people who are marked by his presence. He wants us to be undone. Like, your love is better than life. I got nothing else, God. He wants us to be a people that know that he's the God that does the impossible when he encounters us. I need to land this thing. I was was thinking about showing a video this morning, but I'm not going to show it. um, Partly because it's a little bit too long for a Sunday morning. But if you're interested to to check it out, I'm going to find a way to have that posted with the sermon online this week. Um, Heads up, Claire Westbrook. Um, Didn't tell you that yet, but uh, I'm sure we'll figure it out. Um, And the story is a friend of mine, Sarah. And if you've been around a while, I've relayed something of Sarah's story before. She's a friend from England who we were at church with. And uh, I had the privilege of being around her when she had a particular encounter with God that has totally transformed her life. And I'm just going to give you kind of a couple of um, movements of her, of her story so that you can get a sense of it. And then I want us to move into a time of just praying. And really the story, I want us to, what I want you to hear here, is that there are things that we can do, actually, that if we are... The idea of intimacy with God or encountering God in the ways that I've been describing feel distant or difficult or even not, you don't have a grid for it. I hope that this story will help you to feel some of that so that you can think about how it might look for you. Sarah's story in a nutshell is that since the age of 14 she suffered with depression but had um, some significant seasons where life was going well. And in particular, she had a really sweet relationship with God in, in the place of worship. She was a very gifted singer. She was part of the worship team at the church that we were at. Um, but through, difficult, through a set of circumstances, really from about the age of 21 into her early married life, Sarah encountered more and more difficulties with depression. Um, she became, um, it became really difficult for her. She tried lots of different things. She did counseling. She had some inner healing type prayer. And she would say in her own words that she became very disillusioned. She became cynical and hard-hearted. Church became really difficult. The idea of talking to God just felt just hard and costly. And uh, we hosted a conference in 2007. It was really looking at the subject of the Father Heart of God. And Sarah said to me in this, in the video you'll hear her say this, she described how it was really a last resort for her. So she came to this conference and she said at the beginning she was just sat there feeling very judgmental, thinking these people are just making it all up. This is is not real. In a moment she had this experience really where um, God brought conviction to her heart. And this is key to know is that she realized that what she needed to do, she had to start repenting. And so God just led her through a process of repenting for lies that she believed about God. And this was a work of grace. This is just a moment with the Holy Spirit saying... um, you believe lies about who I am? That you, she, uh, she partnered with lies about unbelief and about various different things and judgment. And as she did this, God met her in a really powerful way and brought freedom to her. She described it, it as there was some deliverance for her. Anyway, there was a break after this session. And she went home and she said, there was lots of snot and lots of tears. But she went home and then she thought, I've got to go back, but I don't want more of that. That was hard. But she went back. And that what she found as she came back is that God met her in an incredibly powerful way again. But this time, essentially filled her with a spirit. spirit. And she just began to experience joy and laughter and this incredible um, sense of desire to worship. And she said, at the end of the session, I was stood on my chair with my arms raised, worshipping Jesus. And that was the last thing that she had anticipated. And really what I want to communicate to you through that story is this, is that God, no one is beyond reach that there's, no matter what your circumstances are, Jesus is, sees you, he knows you, and he has a way for you to encounter him and be restored. And so as we finish this morning, I want to just invite you to respond. Um, and what I, would, I might, may ask Connie to come and help me here for a second, but if the band could come back, and if you're on the ministry team this morning, or if you're, I think, is serving communion, if you would come forward and make yourselves available, that would be great.